Amen. Good morning, family. That prayer was a sermon. I'm like, pass the hat and go home. But we don't pass a hat, so anyways, it's okay. God bless you this morning. It's good to see you. Um, Let's do this. Do you mind? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 21 together. And uh, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and read along with me. And one small little piece of liturgy that we practice together is at the end of the reading of God's Word. I'll say that this is the Word of the Lord and invite you then to say and respond uh, by saying thanks be to God. Let's read Ephesians 5, 1 through 21 together this morning. Let's begin. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Last week we jumped back into Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, dealt with the first two verses looking uh, mostly at the therefore at the beginning of the chapter, reminding us that Paul is building his argument on some statements he's already made. And so we went back and we looked at the end of chapter 4 and saw how that when uh, Paul called us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, that it was in that same vein that he starts chapter 5 and says, Therefore... 
that everything that he's going to say now is built upon what we would call as the indicative, the, the thing that has happened and has been declared of Christ, his righteousness, and his work for us and in our place, specifically that work that was done for us by him on the cross, bearing our sin and our shame and our guilt uh, in his body on the tree and there forgiving us of our sins. Praise God. And so we dealt with that and we saw how that uh, here in verse 1 where it says, Therefore be imitators of God, that Paul is speaking again as he has been repeatedly through the book of Ephesians. He's speaking to our identity. He's saying that our doing, the things that we do, the, the actions of our life, the affections of our heart, the things that we are engaged in are meant to be coming out of the wellspring that is love for God out of this forgiveness that He's given us in Christ. And it has made us something. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says, uh, Therefore you are a new creature. The old has passed away and all has become new. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And in Him we have received a new identity. Where before we were by nature dead in our trespasses and sins, bound by the world, the flesh, and the devil, by nature children of wrath, alienated from God and from His covenants, strangers uh, to the promises, alienated from Christ. Now we've become something new, right? Even here in this passage, we said, he said, once you were darkness and now you are light. In another place, Paul said, you were transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And as such, we have gained new identities as citizens of that kingdom who have become adopted sons and daughters of God through and by grace that is found in Jesus and so he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Why? Why walk in love? Well, 1 John 4, right? If you were in Sunday school, you sang it. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone that loves is born of God and knoweth God for God is love. Why should we walk in love? Because God is love and he's calling us to imitate our God and Father like good children, as beloved children, literally here, the offspring of God. And he says that we should do this in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This beautiful indicative. This is what Christ has done. And then the imperative. Therefore, be imitators of God and walk in love. This morning, we're going to spend our time in verses 3 through 5. And just fair warning, these are hard verses. And Paul starts out and he says, but, let's read verses 3 through 5 together. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. These are, these are hard words to read, to hear, to say, and to receive this morning. And so Paul starts out in verse 3 and he says, but. Now why does he say but? He says but because a contrast is being drawn. Paul is continuing to build his case for what it means, Ephesians 4 verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is the the case that he's continuing to build. He starts out in verse 1 of chapter 4 and he says, guys, there is a way that we are to walk in that is worthy of the calling with which we've been called in Christ. Well, what's the converse argument of that? It means that there is also a way that we could walk that is not in step with, not in keeping with, not in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And Paul continues to build this case. He goes on to verses 22 and 24 of chapter 4. And he says that in this walking, in a manner uh, that is worthy of our calling, that what we are called to do is to put off the old, put on the new, and be renewed. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul calls us to put off the old self, the old self and all of its entrapments of our past identity. Do you follow the argument there? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the preacher there, what does he say? He says, he encourages us therefore to uh, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Paul's saying, guys, take off that old man, put it aside, put off the old self. He says, then what? Then our minds have to be renewed. It's, it's the same line that he uses from Romans chapter 12 when he says, Therefore, my brothers, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how is our mind renewed, church? By the washing of the water, by the word. Amen? Our mind is renewed by the word of God. And he says that we're called to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And that happens as as we are immersed in the word of God. And then he says to put on the new self. And what is this new self? Well, it says it's created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Is there anyone that we know that is in the likeness of God that has true righteousness and holiness? Only one, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And here Paul is exhorting us to be clothed in Christ. To be clothed in Christ. That is the new man that we're to put on, by the way. Not some new version of ourselves. Not some new and better version of ourselves where we suddenly get everything right but rather to be clothed in Christ and to rest in His work and His righteousness for us and on our behalf. 
Amen? And so Paul says, he's, he's building on this case. And, and now here in verses 3 through 5, he's, he's giving us a contrast. He's shown us that the way we should do it, which is to walk in love, being imitators of our Father. And now he gives a contrast. He's given the positive. Now he gives the negative. And he says, but, and he shows us what we ought not to do. But why is he doing this? Why is he calling us to be clothed in Christ? Because, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the, in the beloved. Why is he calling us to this putting off of the old and putting on of the new and being renewed? Why? Because we've been chosen and adopted by God in Christ. He has set His affections on us first. Loved us first. So we also ought, and it should be no hard thing, to love Him. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, be imitators of God, our Heavenly Father's beloved children, literally the offspring of of God. Remember last week we talked about how kids imitate their parents without even knowing that that's what they're doing. Why? Because they're their kids. And what is Paul calling us into? He's calling us into that identity as beloved children of God that we should imitate our Father. So Paul shows us how we should then live in light of who God is as our true Father and what He has done for us in Christ, and what He has made us to be, His dearly loved and adopted children. And He does this by contrast through both positive and negative statements, telling us both not only what we should do, but also what we should not do. And so this is His way, this is Paul's way, here in Ephesians chapter 5, of taking the mirror of the Word of God and placing it before our eyes. And he gives us this mirror and he invites us to look into the mirror. And to see if our reflection looks like us or looks like Christ. If it looks like us or if it looks like we're beginning to look more like Jesus and by virtue also like our Heavenly Father. Indeed, that's part of the function of the Word of God, the whole Word of God for us. Church, when you read the Word of God, if you never come to a place of conflict where you believe that God is displeased with you, as you read the law, then the God that you are imagining is not the God of the Bible. If there's never a point in time where you are convicted 
that you are not in line and matching up with the God of heaven, then the God that you think you are serving is not the God of the Bible. Because truly, as we read the Word of God, it exposes our sin. And there's not one of us here in this room, myself included, who are righteous enough to read and spend time in the Word of God and come away going, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Solid. As a rock, just, I mean, I am killing it. Hashtag winning. No. I read the Word of God and I am brought face to face with a mirror that reflects to me God's holy perfection and my own inability to meet that standard. And if that's not what happens to you ever when you read the Word of God, there's a problem. If that doesn't happen for you in the preaching of God's Word, then there's a problem either in the hearing or in the preaching. And so this morning, we're brought face to face with the mirror of God's Word, and we look into it, and we see some very hard words to receive this morning. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Paul's giving us the the negative side now, and he's, he's shining that light on us. And he's asking, he's inviting us to look upon the reflection and be honest about what we see there. He did this in chapter 4 as well, in verses 25 through 32. Look back there again. It's been several weeks since we were there. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, Right? He, he shows us that there is this, this thing called falsehood, deceit, lying, that should not be a part of our lives. Why? Because it's bad. No. Because it gets you in trouble. No. Why? Why should falsehood not be a part of our lives, church? Because God is not a liar. He goes on, he talks about stealing. Why, why, does he go, why does he say stealing? Why shouldn't stealing be a part of our lives, church? Because it's bad? Because it gets you in trouble? Because you might go to jail or someone might bloody your nose? No. Why shouldn't stealing and theft be a part of our lives? Because God is not a thief. Over and over and over again it comes. The sins that you're dealing with in your own life, they, they shouldn't not be there just because they're bad. They shouldn't not be there just because they might get you in trouble or cause problems in your life or disruption in your relationships. They shouldn't be there because your Father who is in heaven is holy and righteous and good and true and loving and perfect. And you as His dearly loved children are called to be perfect as your Father in heaven who is perfect. Sin should break our heart not because it's bad, 
but because it's not who our Father is. I love that Paul doesn't just bring the negative side. But he he shows us a reflection of our Father so that we might see Him and know Him and become more like Him. And at the end of chapter 4, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Why? Because that's not what our Father's like. And then he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because that's what our Father is like. Amen? And so Paul continues here. That's the same thing is happening here in verses 3 through 5. And he says, but sexual immorality, and the, the Greek word there is literally pornea, where we get our word for pornography, which means that this is not simply talking about extramarital affairs, but rather is speaking to all manner of sexual immorality. All manner of sexual infidelity is included here, including uh, pre, uh, pre or extramarital sex, idolatry, affairs, pornography, and even including homosexuality. All included in this one Greek word, pornea. And Paul says that it should not even be named among you. Well, what does he mean by that? It means that, that there shouldn't even be a whisper that those kind of things would take place in the family of God. Why? Because our God is not immoral. Our, our Father is not immoral. Our Father is fidelity. He is fidelity. And He never changes. Why does that matter that He is fidelity? Have you ever read the Old Testament with a certain amount of arrogance like I have and looked at the children of Israel and gone, my God, my God, why did you not just abandon them already? And you might say, well, because God is patient. And yes, He is patient. But can I tell you why He never abandoned His people? Because He is fidelity. There is no waning or lacking or walking away in Him. And there is no waning or lacking or walking away in Christ, which means what? That He will never abandon His bride, the church. He will never abandon you. Why? Because He is fidelity. And while you are faithless, while I am faithless, He remains faithful. Because He is fidelity. Paul doesn't stop with the act of sexual immorality. Like Jesus, he, he carries on. He doesn't say it's not good enough just not to do it. He says even impurity should not be named among you. Meaning what? He's referring now to even the internal lusts for such things. It's not enough simply to not do these things. The desire to do them is also condemned. This is what 
Jesus speaks to in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28 in the Sermon of Mount where Jesus is giving His exposition of the law. And He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, But I say to you, Actually, verse 27, he says, You've heard it said, this is the law, you shall not commit adultery. That's the act. That's the act of sin that's, that, is, that is spoken to in the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lust, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Before this, he had spoken to anger as well. And he said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But you say, Raka, idiot, you fool. To your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. Now, is Jesus creating a new law there? No. <laughs> Though that's how some people would want to try and say it. There was the law, and then Jesus came along, and he made it even harder. It's not what he was doing. He was expositing the spirit of the law. And he's saying, this is the way it's been all along. You think God is going to give you a free pass just because you didn't do the evil things that you had in your heart. Sorry, eh, wrong, try again. He says, you are condemned even by the evil intent of your heart, such that as before God, you've already committed the act and are guilty for it before you ever actually follow through with any kind of impure action. Paul's in the same vein here when he says, it's not enough to just say, don't do the bad things. Why? Because our actions are not the problem. Our heart is. It's our heart that must be changed. Any one of us here that has had any kind of exposure with any kind of cognitive understanding of right and wrong has engaged in the battle of just simply changing our behavior. And what Paul says here is that changed behavior is not good enough. It's not good enough. Even impurity. Now, this is not to say that temptation will not come. And there are many, many, all of us will be tempted, are tempted to impurity and sexual immorality. We are. There's not one of us who gets a pass on that. But temptation is not a sin. Let me tell you how that moves from temptation to impurity and sin as we begin to harbor those temptations in our heart. You remember when 
the angel came and spoke to Mary, and it says that she treasured those things in her heart. This is a beautiful picture of what's happening there, right? That's the good kind of treasuring in your heart. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be. There's a different kind of hoarding and treasuring where we begin to hoard up and, and, and call treasure what are these impure thoughts and temptations that come to us and we harbor them and dwell on them and gain pleasure from fantasizing about them. And that is the impurity that Paul is speaking to here and says is condemned. Not only that, Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. And he says later on, we see that covetous is being an idolater. What does this mean? It means that we've not only engaged in these things, but we need to understand that when we do, when we entertain those thoughts, when we engage in those things, we have taken those things and elevated them to a place that they do not deserve, which is the place of worship in our heart. We have made them idols. Again, here, the heart and not the action is in view. And Paul says that these things must not even be named among you. What does he say there that points us to the fact that he really is speaking to our identity here and not just our behavior? What does he say? He says, as is proper among the saints. What's he saying? He's saying, that's not who your father is. That's not what he is like. And you are called to be imitators of God as beloved children. And that is not in keeping with who he is. It's not proper among saints. Look at verse 4. He goes on. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Paul's saying here, remember when I said they shouldn't even be talked about among you? That there shouldn't even be a whisper of these things among you? He says here that, it, that we should not even joke about them. We should not be joking about sexual immorality. We should not be joking about impurity. We should not be joking about covetousness. Why? He says that is out of place. And if there's anything that the media over the last 35 years can show us so supremely, it is that if we will laugh at it to begin with, eventually we will accept it. And that's what the media has done to get us to accept these kinds of things in our culture, though once they were not as accepted as they are now, what did they get us to do? Put it in comedy. Get the people to laugh at it. That's why one of the first shows in primetime television with open homosexuality was Will and Grace because they knew if they could get us to laugh at it, eventually we would accept it. And it's true. Paul understands that. He says that we even have to guard our humor so that we do not 
make light of what God has condemned. There's no men, brothers, sons of God. There is no raising of the eyebrows as a sister in Christ walks by, poking and jabbing one another, going, hey, uh uh-huh. Paul condemns it. It's not right. It's not proper. And it's out of place. Sisters, in Christ, beloved daughters of God, the same is true for you. And there is no safe place to make light of what God condemns. And we should not joke. We should not laugh at sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Now, we can celebrate what God has called good. And brother, if you have a great week with your wife and you get to go out of town and enjoy her fellowship and intimacy and company and you're excited about that, brother, I'm going to give you a high five. And praise God, because that's good and right and true and lovely and awesome. Praise the Lord. But do you see the difference there? We're not laughing at what God has condemned, but rather celebrating what He has blessed and called us to enjoy. Amen? Amen. We shouldn't even... Laugh about it. And I love what he does here. Look at the end of verse 4. He, he says that these things are out of place. These things are... And, and literally, what I want you to see here is that when we do this, when, when we engage in these things, when we, when we dwell on these things, when we joke and make light of these things, literally what we are doing is we are stealing from God's image. We are stealing from God's image because these things are wrapped up in our relationships with other image bearers. And when we engage in these things, dwell on these things, make light of these things, literally what we are doing is we are stealing away from God's image, tearing down His image bearers instead of building up. And Paul says, instead, instead of this tearing down, he says, let there be thanksgiving. Now, Calvin, in his commentary on these verses, actually argued for the word grace here. Let there be grace uh, instead of thanksgiving. Both are right. Both can be translated in this way. But I love what Calvin was getting at because in this word that's being used here as thanksgiving, the Greek word is actually, see if this sounds familiar to you at all, eucharista. Eucharista. Like... Eucharist. It's literally the word that is used when Jesus breaks bread. Paul reminds us of it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 24, where he breaks bread and gives thanks to God. The word that's used there is Eucharista, and that's why when we come to the Lord's table, some would call it the Eucharist. 
And this giving thanks to God is literally, it cannot be used properly unless it is directed, this thanksgiving is directed to God. It's not the same kind of thanksgiving that you give to someone else when you say thank thank you to them, but rather this thanksgiving is worshipful and it is directed upward to God who has already extended grace to you. And I love the idea of combining grace with thanksgiving here. Let there be thanksgiving because it is this like prayerful, uplifting worship to God that extends to our brothers and sisters as a grace to them that builds them up rather than tearing them down. Eucharista. Just like when we come to the Lord's Supper as a means of grace, here Paul intimates that instead of tearing down in selfish ambition and lust, we should be building up in love, extending the grace of Christ to one another. And so he goes on in verse 5, and he says, For you may be sure of this. And this is where what was already hard and difficult to read and receive becomes that much more. So I want you to look here. I want you to see it again. I want you to hear it again this morning. Because Paul says here, For you may be sure of this. I can't help but read that and be reminded of Luke's words in the beginning of his gospel account when he says, O Theophilus, I'm writing to you so that you may be certain, you may be sure of the things that you have been taught. And that word that's used there literally when Luke is saying it is it says it is a locked down surety. And it is the same kind of assurance that's used here. But it is the kind of assurance that I really don't want and could do without. Because he says you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous. Now he's going back to verse 3. He's retaking those things that he has just talked about. Who is an idolater. And what does he say? That they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And the truth is, if that's all there was to the story, that would include every single one of us. Because neither you nor I have been able, in our own power and volition, to keep ourselves sexually pure, both in action and in thought, and intent of our heart, none of us, even in this, 
are righteous. No, not one. And it's serious. So serious that when writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, now you want to talk about making light of what should not even be named among you. That seems to be what the problem was in Corinth. And we read Romans chapter 6 verse 1 when Paul says, Shall we sin all the more that grace may abound? And we know the next answer is by no means. But in Corinth it seemed like the answer was, well, why not? And the people of God in Corinth, and, and I mean as hard as it is to say that that's actually who Paul calls them to be, he calls them brothers in his letter to the Corinthians. It seems like they're trying to outdo one another in sin. Coming into the Lord's gathering, being like, how did you sin this week? Whoa, you beat me. Wow, there's really grace for you, brother. Ha, 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 ha. So much so that it seems it, it's actually reported, verse 1 of chapter 5, 1 Corinthians, that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. So, so much had sin become rampant in the people of God in Corinth, that even the unbelievers, hearing the whispers of the things that were happening among the people of God, were going, huh? I, we, they, we wouldn't even do that. Why? Because a man has his father's wife. What we can draw from this is it seems that a young man had taken his stepmother into his bed. And the church went, wow, there's grace for you, brother. That's not what Paul said. So serious is this. That Paul writes in verse 9 of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. So I want you to see what he's doing here. What, who are the sexually immoral that he's calling them not to have anything to do with? It's the ones that are in the church claiming the name of Christ, and yet also wanting to openly and unrepentantly live in their sin and asking everybody else to approve of it and accept it as well. And Paul says this, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. He says, take that young man 
and throw him out of the fellowship of the church. Have nothing to do with him. So much so that you ought not to even share a meal with him, let alone a morsel of bread or a drink of wine. Purge. There's immediacy and effectiveness in that word. Get him out. Now again, this is hard. And again, there's not one of us here who can claim to be righteous in this. So should we all just leave right now? If that's the end, I'm, I'm out too. We go to verse uh, chapter 6. And we pick up in verse 9 again. He reminds them in verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is right in line with what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And now that the law has broken us down, hear the gospel, church. Verse number 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you, what does it say? Will be, are being, might be. If you're really good, you've got a flying chance to be. Is that what it says? What does it say? And you were washed. You were washed. How were you washed? You were sanctified. By whom were you sanctified? You were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here's what we can understand by taking chapter 5 and chapter 6 together. What Paul is speaking to is the one who wants to bear the name of Christ yet live openly and unrepentantly in their sin and have everyone else accept it. There's not one of us here that is without sin. There's not one of us here that is somehow uh, gone on into victory in the struggle with sin such that we don't battle sin anymore. There's not one of us, from the youngest to the old of us, oldest of us, we still are battling indwelling sin. And we will continue to. You know why that's a grace to you? For there will never be a day that you live in this world with the breath of air in your lungs before Jesus comes that you won't need Him to get through every single day.
I tell you something? I need Jesus in my battle with sin. And so do you. What Paul is talking about is someone who wants to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I love Jesus. But I love my mistress too. Yeah, I love, I love Jesus. I, I love Jesus. I'm, I'm part of the church, but, uh, you know, that pornography thing, it's all right. It's just between me and a screen. Yeah, I, lo- I love Jesus, but, you know, he loves me so much, he doesn't want me to be unhappy in my sexual uh, desires. So he must just approve of, of what I want to do and who I want to do it with. No. God does not approve. And if you think that you can carry on in your sin and God is just going to smile and nod and give you a pass, then you should be afraid. You should be afraid that the Jesus you think has bought you and cleansed you and saved you and the God that you think approves of your sin is not actually the Jesus and the God of the Bible. But let me tell you about the Jesus and the God of the Bible. Who is Jesus says one day there was a Pharisee and a tax collector that went into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stood at the altar and prayed and looked at the tax collector and said, God, thank you that I'm not like that man. But the tax collector couldn't even stand. But he knelt at the altar of God and he beat his breast. He said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it was that man, the tax collector, that went home justified. It was that man who understood his need for a Savior. It was that man who agreed with God about his sin, who owned it and knew that he had done it, and that before God it stunk, and it was vile, and it was wicked, and it was evil. And he agreed, and he went to the altar, and he beat his breast, and he said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And God was true to his character. Because do you know who God is? He is merciful. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. 
and abundant in grace and in mercy and in love. Church, such were some of you. And if that's not true for you today, if it should say such are some of you, then today you can throw yourself at the mercy of God. And you can say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And not go away and carry on in your sin, but go away and turn away from your sin and trust God to provide for you in Christ the things that you believe you are lacking and searching for in all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness and idolatry. There are brothers and sisters here today who have and are walking that path, who would love to walk that path with you. For it is not an easy one, but it is a blessed one. And there is life, abundant life, waiting for you through repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Remember your identity. Colossians chapter 3, which is a parallel passage to the one we are in right now, in the first few verses reminds us of our identity. Paul again writing, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Here it is, the identity piece. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And he goes on and he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Church, may we ask the Spirit to do that work in us this morning. Will you stand with me as we pray and prepare to come to the table of the Lord? <laughs>